James, chapter one, verse one, it reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, greetings, greetings. We're gonna stop right there. And this is an introduction to the book of James. Again, this is week one. The title of my sermon is week one of the six week journey. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You can call it Big Brother, too, if you want like a really cool title, Big Big Brother. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your, your love for us. Lord, I pray uh, for every single person under the sound of my voice, those watching online or those here in this room and space, that you would meet us in a very real way. God, your love is extravagant. Wherever we find ourselves in our spiritual journey, I thank you, you will meet us there. Help us to see how real and big and magnificent and glorious you are. And thank you today. The Cougars are going to beat the Huskies. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, as you know, my dad started this church. I am officially uh, a preacher's kid. And if you don't know, I've said this multiple times. Um, my dad's dad was a preacher. My dad's dad's dad was a preacher. I don't know if I could do it again. My dad's 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 dad was a preacher. I think I could do it again. And my dad's 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 dad. Well, I don't know if I did it. But point is seven generations of preachers, right? Which means my family probably has more dysfunction than yours. But a lot of generation of preachers. And so, like, I don't know everybody. I, I can't say that I understand everyone. But, but I understand preacher's kids. You understand that, like, I, I'm, I know what it's like to be a preacher's kid, and one of the blessings of being a preacher's kid is when your mom and dad start talking, they're not going to stop for a long time. I'm, I'm not talking about on a stage. I'm not talking preaching sermon. I'm talking about, you know, at the dining table. I'm talking about, like, in your bedroom late at night saying, son, where were you? Now sit down. I want to share something with you. Now, when my dad told me and my older sister to sit down because mom and dad wanted to talk with them, first of all, mom didn't do a lot of talking. She did a lot of amening. Dad did most of the talking. Now, when dad said, Judah, Wendy, sit down, your mom and I have something we want to talk to you about. Listen, I knew right then and there it's time to settle in, get some snacks, make sure you get plenty of electrolytes because it is going to go down. It's going to be a long time. These sermons, I mean these talks that dad would give were so long. Now, I remember as a, as a young man thinking to myself, I will never do this to my kids. Never. This is, this, is, this is evil. This is wrong. This is ridiculous. Dad, please. But then I had my own kids, and I'm not going to lie to you, something hit me. If I had to go through it, they should have to go through it. You know what I'm talking about? Man, that's just real. So I think, I've, I think I'm longer now in, in my talks with my kids than even my dad. My dad would be it would go on and on and on, and at the end of his talks, we would always take up an offering. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, man. But, in fact, recently, um, one of my three children, we got a 13, 11, and 8-year-old, I will not say which one, went to my wife, my wife, privately, behind my back, and said, Mom, can I talk to you? And she said, yeah, what's going on? Mom, I just... 
you just, dad, when he talks to us, he just goes for so long. And it's just difficult. I found that out, I'm telling you, very next day. Zion, Elliot, Gracie, sit down. Your mom and I have something we want to talk to you about. <laughs> Get some Gatorade, you're going to need it, right? Like, <clears throat> let them have it. Now, one thing we asked of our dad, Wendy and I, is dad, like, you know, and of course, you, you tell your dad not to do long talks, he's going to do long talks. So, but we just said, dad, can we just make a deal with you? Can we make a deal with you? Make a deal with you. And my dad was not a dad you made deals with, but we tried. We, we attempted. Dad, when we have friends over, can you not do the talks? Can we not do any dinner sermons when our friends are over? It's embarrassing. He's like, what'd you say? I said, well, it's, uh, it's awkward. What'd you say? It's difficult. Excuse me? And this is one of my dad's favorite lines. He's like, I, I made you. I brought you into this world. I will take you out and make another one. You understand me? Don't tell me what to do, right? So we begged him. There was this one night, this one evening, we're having dinner, and I had one of my friends over. Now, this is one of my cool friends, and I don't mean to delineate, but it's true. When you're a kid, you got friends that are like, man, they come over, you're like, it's all good. But then you got cool friends, friends you're trying to impress, friends you're like, dad, this guy's the man, please, right? And of all nights, right, like I am praying under my breath, I am speaking in tongues at the dinner table. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, oh, God, please, please, please don't let dad have one of those. And something triggered him. I'm sure it was my older sister. She was very rebellious. <laughs> and we were, it, it, we were so close to getting out of there, right? We got up from the dinner table, and Wendy had said something. I don't exactly remember what it is. He said, um, excuse me, Judah, Wendy, sit down. Your mom and I have something we'd like to talk to you about. And then he turns to my cool friend, who's also a part of the church, and he's like, now, son, you, you don't have to join us unless you'd like to. And he's like, yes, sir, pastor, I'd love to. And, you know, like, I'm like, dad, my friends are not going to walk away. They feel forced into these things, right? So we sit down and dad goes on and on and on. And I, I mean, I don't, I'm not hearing anything my dad is saying. I'm just trying to read the body language of my cool friend. I'm like, oh, he hates this. He hates me. He hates God now. We're 20 minutes in. He, hate, he doesn't even believe he's turned into an atheist. This is terrible, right? I'm, all of these ideas. And so finally my dad said, and, and, and amen, you know, or whatever, how he ended his speech. And he said, You're, you, you, you can go now. And, and um, by that time I was in my 20s. But <laughs> I got up and was walking away and me and my friend went upstairs and getting ready for, for bed, he was sleeping over, and I thought, man, I don't even know how to approach this. This is, this is bad, this is bad. And um, my friend speaks up, he says, uh, does your dad do that a lot? And I was like at a crossroads. I'm like, do I lie? Because if I say, no, not at all, he, then he can never come back over to the house. Because next time he comes, chances are very likely it's gonna happen again, right? So I was like, I might as well just tell him to I said, uh, yeah, yeah, he does a lot. And I kind of braced for the worst, like he's like, dang, man, sucks to be you. You know, like, that's exactly what I was prepared for. And I'll never forget what my friend said that evening in my house. He said, wow, that's cool. 
And I, I, I remember, like, I don't know what I was doing, probably putting toothpaste on my toothbrush. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mad cool. Yeah, yeah, my dad is so cool. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And he said, he said, I, I, I don't know, man. I guess, uh, I don't know. Things kind of got a little awkward, you know. He just kind of started to hesitate a little bit. He's like, I, 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 guess, uh, I guess I just kind of wish I had a dad to, to tell me how to live. And I'll never forget, I was probably about 10 or 11 years old, standing there realizing that, that, that and forgive me, if it took me a decade as a, as a young boy to realize that there are men and women, boys and girls, who, who don't have the opportunity that I was begrudging, that I thought was a little long-winded, a little over-the-top, a little heavy-handed, Dad, only to realize my cool friend was expressing that that sure would be nice. I remember laying in bed that night for the first time having to face a social reality, that there are men and women who don't have the opportunity to have a loving parent who will train them and, and teach them and, and sit them down. Now, if by chance, if you are one of those individuals today who have not had the opportunity of a father or a father figure to speak into your life, I'd like to announce that the book of James is your book. The book of James is your book. Because in reality, this is dad language. James is inspired by the spirit of Jesus. Of course, it's called the letter of James or the book of James, but we know the author is Jesus. The author is God. We know there are 66 books that make up the Bible, 44 different authors as best we can tell, but ultimately there is one source, and that source is God. For whatever reason, James is inspired by the Spirit of Jesus to talk like a father. In fact, you'll find it interesting, when this book was originally written, it was in Greek, then Latin, and then translated into English. Now, the English translators did their best, but in fact, in the Greek language, there is no James in the Greek language. So many scholars argue that this book could actually be called the book of Jacob, for James is the root of James is Jacob. Now, for, for right now, that might not mean a lot, but actually, it can unlock and open up this book for you if you'll see it. Now, I'm going to read to you James 1.1 again, see if you can pick it up. In fact, I'm going to replace James with Jacob just for this initial exercise. Jacob, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, wait a second. I've heard of Jacob and 12 tribes before. In fact, this, this letter originally is written to almost an entirely Jewish audience. And when they would have read it in the Greek, it would have read to them Jacob, a servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. It is abundantly clear to me that from the outset of this book, God evidently wants us to know that Father Jacob is still speaking to his 12 sons. For 1,800 years before this letter, one of the first letters in the New Testament written, 1,800 years before that, there was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob was 
the one who had 12 sons, which formed the 12 tribes of Israel. 1,800 years later, James, whose name is also Jacob, is inspired to speak again to the 12 sons, if you will. And what the author, God himself, is telling us is this book, the orientation of this book, is Father Jacob still speaking to his 12 sons. That's why you're going to find such direct language in this book. A lot of people find this book to be contradictory to the gospel of grace, but in fact it is not, and we'll explain that in a moment. But you need to understand the tense, the mood, the directness is exactly like my dad at the dinner table in front of my cool friends, not pulling any punches. Look at, look at verse 2. This is the second verse in the whole book. Count it all joy. By the way, brothers and sisters can also be translated sons and daughters. Count it all joy, sons and daughters, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> like, ease us into it, James. Right? Give us a couple of complimentary verses. Hey, love you guys, miss you. Oh my gosh, wow. But no, he's just like, put a smile on your face when times get tough. Jeez, Dad. Just, you know, ease me into it. No, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to speak direct. If you have ever wanted guidance from a father, you have a heavenly father that put together the book of James in such a way that it will speak to you. They call it the New Testament Proverbs. It's like a father sitting you down saying, your mom and I have something we'd like to talk to you about. The five major themes of the book of James, prepare yourself, prepare yourself. Uh, the first one is wisdom. This is dad language, this is dad talk. James is going to give you wisdom for life. You, you, you need understanding, you need wisdom. Second major theme of James, get ready for this one, it's really exciting, tests and trials. Oh, great. Life's gonna happen, son. It's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be good times, absolutely, but there's gonna be challenging times and difficult times. Keep a smile on your face, a skip in your step, a twinkle in your eye, and keep your face towards God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Third major theme of the book of James is the royal law of love. It sounds so royal, but the royal law of love, bare bones, is love your neighbor as yourself. The fourth major theme of the book of James is money. Look, look at these. These are such dad themes, money. In fact, Father James wants you to know how to relate to rich people and poor people and everybody in between. He's going to talk to you about money and how it affects life and how it affects your perspective. And last but certainly not least, and what the book of James is mostly known for, is he will talk to you about faith and good works, faith actually working itself out in your life. If you have ever wanted somebody to shoot straight with you and tell you the truth of what it looks like to follow Jesus and live an ordinary day with him, this is your book. Now, if next week things get a little direct and you get a little uncomfortable, don't blame me. You chose the book of James. You know, like we had an online, you know, uh, voting. We didn't. But let's, if we did, you chose. I blame you, church, not me. It's, it's in the book. Now, of those five major themes I said a moment ago, faith and good works has come under the most 
debate. In fact, Martin Luther himself, the man who nailed the Reformation on a door in the Catholic Church, Martin Luther himself wrestled profoundly with the book of James. Martin Luther, who, of course, issued or ushered in justification by faith, the recovering of this absolutely essential doctrine, he himself wrestled with the book of James. Now, keep in mind, James is the half-brother of Jesus, which is to say his mother was Mary, but Jesus is God and his father is God. So they're, they're, they're half-brother, but they're related. James, again, with probably Galatians, is the very first couple of books in the New Testament. Remember, James is writing to Jewish people, the 12 tribes dispersed in the known world. And at the time of this writing, they are coming under incredible persecution and scrutiny. There are uh, uh, believers being martyred, uh, marginalized, overlooked. And so James writes with an urgency of a father whose children have come up under attack and assault. He wants to speak to them. The question is, is James, the book of James, which it's Overwhelming emphasis is if you have faith, let's see it. If James was here, he'd basically say that. If you have faith, let's see it. You can imagine a dad looking at his kids. If you got faith, why doesn't it affect your lifestyle? If you have faith, where is it? If you have faith, why hasn't it shown up? Much has been debated. And for instance, I'll put this on the screen. This will help you. Much debate between James and Paul. Paul, who writes more than half of the New Testament, and James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, in James chapter 2 and verse 17, says this, and then Paul, in Romans eleven six 6, says this. Let's read this together. It says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's what James says. Romans eleven six, 6, Paul says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So, who's right? You can see over the corridors of history that some have argued the book of James should not be in the Bible. I would disagree with that. I think we need both James and Paul. James, if James was here, if James was here and Paul was here, James would say, what good is the salvation that saves you and leaves you exactly the same way. And if Paul was here on the other side, he would say, well, how good is the salvation if you can earn it on your own? And then you got to look at both of these dudes and say, yo, those are really good points. <laughs> both of you guys got really good points. Neither one is competing with each other. They are complementing each other, and they are revealing to us a beautiful truth. Now, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, you cannot eisegesis, which is to take one verse and build a doctrine. You've got to exegesis, which is put it in the context of the story. Understand the Bible, the, the, the consistent thread throughout Scripture is the thread of God's extraordinary love for humanity. So James, as he speaks direct as a father, is not here to negate the love and grace of God. I would like to present to you, I would like to put before you that I believe Father James 
understands divine order given to us in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians says this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, how have you been saved? By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Now, let's pause here for a second and let's own this moment. When it comes to the reputation of Christians or Jesus followers, I don't know if you know this, but we have carried ourselves in such a way we actually come across as elitists. Did you know this? Globally speaking, now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or follow Jesus, this is a fantastic six weeks for you to sit in and observe. Because if you've ever really wanted to know the bare bones and nuts and bolts of what it looks like to follow Jesus, you're about to get it. Okay? So stick around and kind of observe. For those of us that do follow Jesus and worship Jesus and consider ourselves to be little Christ or Christians, our global reputation, speaking in generalities, is we carry ourselves as elitists. Our bumper stickers are elite, right? Our verbiage is elite. The fact that maybe we don't curse, we're elite, right? All kinds of things that we think make us elite, but actually the Bible says no one can do what? Boast. So there's no room in Christian doctrine for any of us to be like, <laughs> I'm a Christian, you're not, sucks to be you. I'm going up, you're going down. If you get my drift. No, 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 no. It is not of works lest anyone could develop an elite attitude. Not allowed. Not allowed. We are all the same. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There are not ins, there are not outs. We are all in this together. We got far more in common than we don't. I'm getting there. I'm going to start preaching in a second. So no one can boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see the divine order? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It's always this way. You must keep this order in all of your scripture reading and lifestyle applying. It always starts with amazing grace. You were saved by grace. Grace, the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, John 3, 16, written by Tim Tebow, I mean God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever, with no strings attached, no guarantees, God, while we were still sinners, died for us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. There's nowhere in Scripture that teaches that there were desperate people on earth going, oh, God, save us. Come down. Be with us. We miss you. We love you. We need you. There was none of that. We could not care less. And yet God, because he is who he is all by himself, he is, he is the consummation of love. He is the personification of love within himself. He was moved by himself to act by himself on behalf of humanity. It is amazing grace. And that amazing grace produces in us the second gift that comes from God, which is faith. Do you know the faith you have towards Jesus was given to you by Jesus so you could believe in Jesus? 
I mean, there is no room for elitism. There is no room for exclusivity. There is no room for bragging and boasting and arrogance. No, all of us are recipients of amazing grace and great faith. So the Bible says we, we see this grace and we go, wow! Maybe we never saw it before, but God in his grace says, now I want you to see my grace. And we go, wow! And then what, what, what bubbles up in our spirit and our soul is this, I, I receive this. That's what faith is. It's just a reception. I receive this. Now, what Ephesians is describing for us, I believe, is assumed by James, that you understand salvation is amazing grace, faith that goes, I receive it, and then a life that goes, wait, Lord, what about him? What about her? And he says, they're hurting. Well, I want to help them. I have so much to give. Well, go, son, and help them. Yes, sir. And this progression happens that is supposed to be the salvation experience and the Christian life. Every day is a, wow, I receive it. Wait, what about him? And what about her? And without anybody telling you, you need to work out your faith. You fall in love with broken humanity and you move towards them, not away from them. James would like to ask, why isn't that happening in your life? James wants to sit his 12 sons down, if you will, and say, hey, you received this amazing grace, this faith, this great faith given to you. Why isn't it changing your Monday? Because boy, you can shout on Sunday, but you won't even care for your coworker because they got a raise and you didn't on Tuesday. So actually, there is no contradiction here. There's beautiful complimenting, and it is an emphasis. This is exactly what a father would emphasize. He would say, son, I'm grateful that you sing. I see your Bible is highlighted. I think that's wonderful. But you are not kind to people. You're not considerate to people. You're not, you, you don't listen. You do all the talking. You're the biggest deal in the room. You, 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 where is your faith? Where is your faith? And that is an appropriate conversation for a father to have with his children. And it in no way minimizes or takes away at all from amazing grace. Keep in mind, this letter is written to who? People who have already received the grace of God. Already received the grace of God. In, in different places, Paul is writing to a different audience. James is assigned to talk to the 12 sons, if you will. And so if you are here today and you consider yourself to be a Jesus follower, Jacob or James would like to sit down with you and say, let's talk bare bones, face to face, actual boots on the ground, your average Thursday morning. Where is your faith? So, I have given you full disclosure. If you come back next week, you come at your own risk. <laughs> kidding, kidding, it's gonna be great. You're gonna, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be so awesome. But if you're like me, I, I want to, I don't want to be, how should I say, I don't want to be religious. You, you know what religious is, right? It's, formal, it's formalities. It's verbiage, but it's no heart change. It's no lifestyle alteration. It's 
Cheap is what it is. And you know who you're robbing and I'm robbing? Ourselves. From life and life more abundantly. Now, in conclusion, I'd like to read this verse one more time because there are words here that move me. It says, James, or Jacob, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word servant, there's so much sexual connotations in our culture, I hesitate sometimes to actually translate it accurately, but, but the original Greek, it would have read love slave. Love slave of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, those words, you were like, oh, that, that, that's powerful. Hold on a second. Context, let's back up. James is the half-brother of Jesus. We don't know if he shared a room with Jesus. We don't know if they, you know, competed to who could put up posters of their favorite player. We don't know this. But we do know that James did not believe in Jesus. Did you know that? The entire life and ministry of Jesus, James did not believe. It says in John chapter 4, I believe it is, or John chapter 5 and verse 7, do we have that? I'm not dyslexic or anything. John chapter 7 and verse 5. <laughs> I am. Okay, so not even his brothers believed in him. Boy, that must have been painful for Jesus. Not even his brothers believed in him. Did, I don't know, did, did, did James say stuff about him? We're talking about brothers here. We're talking about siblings here. And your big brother is God. Can you imagine? If you don't believe that he's God, what kind of stuff do you say about your big brother who thinks he's so great he's God? Thinks he's so amazing he's Messiah? How did that hurt Mary? Mary and Joseph believed. That must have been so much pain in this home. Pain that now we can kind of step back and go, wow, Jesus experienced really all levels of pain, did he not? as his own brothers did not believe in him. Can't imagine the things James must have said about his big brother. But later, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, just before the ascension, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this, that Jesus appeared to James. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. I just love the directness of this verse. I love how, what this verse communicates about Jesus, that he appeared. It could have just said he appeared to the apostles and his brothers, but it says he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. How did that go? How did that go? Is it all right if we can use some of our imagination? I don't know. James is just kicking it. And all of a sudden, you know, Jesus walks through walls. During this time, he makes a lot of appearances. He has a full schedule. And he walks through a lot of walls, you know? And, and I mean, did he just walk through the wall into James's space? Well, I mean, what did he say? James, and he goes, hey, it's me. I'm God. And James is like, yeah, you are. I'm sorry. It's okay. I love you. I mean, how did that conversation go? Jesus is so faithful. If you're here today and you're doubting Jesus, he's not mad at you. His own brothers doubted him. 
You're here today and you're like, I don't know about Christianity. You know what? I don't blame you. A lot of horrific things have been done in the name of Jesus. A lot of horrible acts have been committed by people who claim to be Christians. If you've done any work in your history books, you understand why people could hesitate at the idea of following Jesus. And I'm here to say the leader of our global movement, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is not mad at you or intimidated by your doubt. In fact, he's God enough to meet you where you are. If he can meet his brothers, he can meet you and reveal to you and show you. I say, let God be God. If God is God, then he will show up and he in fact will be God. Now, you would imagine that James, his life from this point would only know progress and growth and extraordinary influence. And though it did, we read later that though James has met his big brother, he has come to the conclusion that his big brother is the Messiah, he is king, he is God, and he is following him, and he is teaching his ways to others, there yet remains a sin in James' life. But we discover later that James, unless you are a Jew, you're not welcome in the church. Unless you're a Jew, you're not welcome at his dinner table. I'm reading this, and I got to step back. I got to push away from my desk and go, you use this guy? The guy who denied you your entire life in ministry? No doubt mocked you? And then once you reveal yourself to him, you physically, you physically appear to him, he still harbors prejudice and racism in his heart? You used him? All of a sudden, I got a lot of hope for humanity. All of a sudden, I got a lot of hope for people everywhere. If God can change James, I am convinced he can change you. James is recorded in Galatians, is recorded as, as resisting. He wanted separation, resistance, but later in Acts 15 or 14, he becomes an advocate in front of religious leaders. This man goes from, whoa, 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 any non-Jews not allowed, gross, uh, uh. By Acts, he's actually in front of religious leaders saying, no, all people are God's children and all are welcome. Are you doubtful? Are you discouraged? Do you have trouble with people who don't look like you? And if all of us say no in this room, all of us are wrong in this room. Do you struggle with that? Is that a challenge for you? Can I just say, that's pretty normal, unfortunately. It's pretty normal. Even for Jesus' brother, after Jesus appeared to him and he accepted him as Lord and Savior, he still was struggling with people not of his ethnicity and background. But God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And boy, he is slow to anger and he is long-suffering with his children. And over time, he changes his own brother until what was once an accuser and a separator and a marginalizer becomes an advocate of all people for all our God's brothers and sisters.
Josephus and other scholars record how James dies. We don't know this 100%, but it seems the consensus is that he was killed for his faith in his big brother. He believed so vehemently in his big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, he committed his entire life and even in death. The story goes they took him up on a high building, a horrific way to kill a man, and they pushed him off hoping he would die. He didn't die. He laid there, wheezing but not dead. Then they stoned him, and he remained still not dead. And they finally clubbed him to his death. The Bible records when Stephen was stoned for his faith as a martyr that the Lord Jesus Christ stood, got up off his throne. He does not stand for his enemies, for his enemies are defeated, but he stands for precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his children, his saints. And he stands to honor the death of Stephen. Can you imagine, I think it is safe to say, that as his half-brother is beaten to the end of his life, that the Lord Jesus Christ, his big brother, stood at his throne to honor the death of his once unbelieving and prejudiced brother. Can you imagine what that encounter and reunion was like in eternity? As James enters into eternity, I don't know how it happens. I don't know if there is a gate, and I don't know if Peter is there checking names. I don't know. But can you imagine? As James walks in, is ushered into eternity, and there is the Lord Jesus Christ, his big brother. And what he must have said, brother, I, I love you. It was an honor to die for you. Is it safe just for a moment? Can we pan the camera out, church? And I know you got so much going on in your life. You got a job and you got bills and you got a minivan and you got kids to get to soccer practice and you forgot the Capri Suns again. <laughs> I know there's so much going on in life, but maybe James wants us to pan back and pick up the big picture again. Isn't this all about our big brother? Isn't this all about that before him, all we were were mockers and unbelievers with no real point of living, but he was faithful and he revealed himself to us. And boy, we were so selfish and self-serving. We couldn't even see past our own issues and our own desires, but God helped us to lift up our eyes and see the pain of others and the need of others and to care for others, even those who don't even look like ourselves. Can we pan back the picture and just imagine for a moment that there's going to be a day much like the half-brother of Jesus where we are ushered into eternity? And it may not come by stones and clubs, but if it does, it'll be an honor. We stand there and we finally look in the eyes that blaze with pure, unconditional love and say, Jesus, I love you. And he will look back at us with the same love, care, Condition, unconditional love that he had for James. He'll look at you and say, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. Enter in to the joy of eternity. I think maybe at the very least, James wants us to know his story. And all of a sudden, you start to read his direct words, and you're like, I get it. You've done a lot of stuff, James, in your life, and this is the only way, the truth, and the life, and you want to sit your kids down and say, you listen 
to me. Nothing else matters but him. So if you're going through the worst season in your life, you still have him. The joy, the desire of all nations, you have him. Oh, let us never forget why we are here today. We are not just here to improve our portfolios and improve our performance and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We are here for our big brother, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, king of kings, lord of lords, and our whole life culminates unto him. He, he and he alone is life. And it is our privilege to serve him. No, 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 we can't, we can't take the next five weeks and even for a second, remove it from the love passion and the love slave that his little brother was. Because you'll, you'll lose it, you'll lose it. If you take it clinical and you take it, James just going, you need to do this, you need to do that, you, you're, you're, you're gonna miss it. This is, this is a man who, who, who didn't believe in his big brother, but then he did, and, and he, he claimed it was his honor to be a slave of love to him and ultimately die for him. So let's keep that in mind. And may these words breed in us the same courageous, insatiable love for Jesus and lifestyle that James had. That whatever may come, it is an honor to follow and serve Jesus. Can I get an amen? Can I pray for you today? Jesus, we thank you so much. You, 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 you hadn't just changed James. You've changed me. You've changed us and you are still changing us. We thank you, God. Your grace is enough. We thank you. We sense your bigness. We sense your grandeur. We sense your love. We sense your care in this room this morning. Oh, you're amazing. You're astounding. You're extraordinary. Our adjectives do not even come close or scratch the surface in describing the magnitude of your glory and your beauty and your majesty. We consider it our highest honor on this earth to be numbered amongst your family, to be considered your sons and your daughters. And we will take every day by the grace that you have given us to follow you and to live for you. And if necessary, to give our life in service to you. Thank you. If we haven't thanked you lately, thank you for the privilege of being in your family, for the privilege of following you. Lord, we had rejected you, but you moved towards us anyways and revealed yourself to us. I am praying right now for men and women, boys and girls, under the sound of my voice, who have their doubts, maybe even have walked away from you, maybe who've rejected you, maybe who don't know you. I ask, Lord, right now that in the same way you revealed yourself to James, that you'd be faithful to reveal yourself to each and every person in this room and watching. Thank you, God. If you're here today and you say, Judah, I'd like to follow Jesus. I'd like to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to respond in a moment. I'm going to ask eyes closed just for a few seconds as this decision begins ultimately between you and God. If you'd like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, the forgiveness for your past, your present, and your future sins, 
That's right, you can be forgiven in one moment of faith. It is the gift of God. If you'd like to receive this gift that you can only receive through Jesus, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are? God loves you so much. I absolutely know by, for a fact that you are not here on accident. So on the count of three, you lift up your hand, put it right back down. People ask me all the time, why do you have people lift their hand? I believe when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it makes it more real to you personally, to you personally. When you feel your hand going up, something triggers in your brain. This is real, I believe, and I receive Jesus as my King, my God, my Savior, my best friend. You know who you are, one, God loves you, two, you'll never be the same, three, if that's you, would you lift your hand up all over the room? I receive, I receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, that's amazing, so many hands. Anybody else, you lift it up and put it right back down. God, I thank you for every single hand in this room. I thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that flows freely from your grace and your goodness. We love you. We thank you we are forgiven forever. We thank you there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you're here today, second, secondly you say, Judah, I've had my doubts. I've been beating myself up. I've been so discouraged because I've been second-guessing Jesus. I've been doubting the presence of God in my life. I've been doubting his goodness and his grace and his saving power. If you've had your doubts lately, I want you to raise your hand because I believe the grace of God flows freely to you. God, I thank you. There is no condemnation. I thank you. You've not given us a spirit of confusion, but a power, a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And we thank you, Lord, for strength. We thank you, God, for courage. Now we face the next five weeks, these six and five, six to five weeks together. I thank you, God. You're going to meet us in cafes. You're going to meet us in living rooms. You're going to meet us in conversations. May you become more and more real in our life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand to your feet? And come on, church, let's sing out what we believe about our great God. Come on.